The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Allie, great job reading through that scripture passage for us. Uh, Friends, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, My name is Charlie Dunn. I have the privilege, along with John, of getting to pastor this new neighborhood church in uh, Lake Highlands. And um, I do want to wish a very happy Mother's Day uh, to all of you who are moms worshiping with us here this morning. Uh, If you have been with us the last couple of weeks, you know uh, that we have been in a series talking a lot about work. And boy, is it a lot of work to be a mom, and I get to witness that firsthand in our own family. In fact, I think Brandy's taking care of Patton, who's sick right now uh, during the service, and who else but moms would do that thing with the um, the suction tube when your child has a cold and they get the uh, congestion out? I don't think I would be willing to do that. So uh, moms, thank you uh, for all of the great work that you do uh, to love and to care for and to teach and raise your kids, that is a tremendous calling from God. And we do give thanks to God for you uh, moms today. Uh, As I mentioned, we are in this uh, series talking about work. It's a series called uh, Work as Worship. And if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that uh, two weeks ago we kicked off the series talking about work as a calling. And we said, really, that's the foundation. If you want your work to become an act of worship, you've got to recognize that God himself has called you to that work. And if you missed that sermon, I'd encourage you, go back and listen to that. And then last Sunday, John preached about working with wisdom. And and how do we be people who don't just react, but who are able to wisely respond to all of the difficult situations that confront us in the work we do every day? Day And that was a great uh, message that John gave us last Sunday. Today, we're going to be talking about this question that we asked in our Faith in the Workplace series. Thank you to those of you who filled out uh, that survey. Um, Here's the question. Um, How do you, in the work that you do every day, how do you connect your work to the kingdom of God? Or, to put it another way, how do you do your work in such a way that advances God's kingdom? And, you know, what was striking to me about this question is that, you know, this was actually the least answered question in the survey. Um, You didn't have to answer the questions. It was the most frequently skipped question in the survey. And even those who did answer it, some of them said, I'm not sure how my work connects to God's kingdom. Or I'm not sure that my work does connect to God's kingdom. Now, there are a number of reasons why this might be. One of them could just be it was a bad question. It was poorly worded. It was confusing. That's, of course, uh, fairly possible. But as I reflected, why would this be the most frequently skipped question in the survey? I came up with with three answers, three possible answers. Here they are. Uh, First, uh, maybe some of us were confused about what we really mean by this term, the kingdom of God. It's a term that we use a lot in the church. It's a very sort of high and lofty term, but maybe we had confusion about what does that really mean? What is the kingdom of God? Gosh, it's difficult to connect my work to it if I don't really understand what it is. 
It's a little bit like that story maybe you've heard of the, the road construction foreman who's going around the city with the guys on his construction crew. He comes to a spot, and he gives them a jackhammer. He says, I want you to dig a hole six feet down into the street. So they dig the hole. He looks at it, and he says, fill it in. Then they go on to another spot, and he says, dig the hole. So they dig it again. Then he says, fill it in. They do this three times. They get to the fourth time, and he says, okay, I want you to dig the hole. This time they say no. We're not digging another hole just to fill it back in again. That is so pointless. That is so meaningless. There's no purpose in just digging and refilling holes, at which point the foreman, he apologizes to them. And he says, look, guys, I'm so sorry. In our rush to do this, I should have told you. The thing is, is that the city lost the plans for this part of the city. We're looking for a certain gas line, and the only way to find it is by trial and error. So we're just digging and filling and looking for that line. It's difficult, though, isn't it, to really see the purpose and the meaning and the work that you're doing if you don't have the blueprint, if you don't have the plan, if you don't know really what is the kingdom of God, what is this destiny, this vision towards which all of history is progressing. So for some of us, maybe we struggle to make that connection because we don't really know what the kingdom of God is. Uh, for others of us, maybe you do have a pretty good idea of the kingdom of God, but you, you still are having a hard time making that link. Making that connection between the work you do every day, um, whether that's paid work or unpaid work, and, and how that really advances the kingdom of God. And one of my hopes for us this morning uh, is that you'll be able to make that connection. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's not going to actually change the work that you do, but it's going to change the way you look at the work that you're already doing. And you begin to see it from a new perspective. You begin to recognize how that work actually does contribute to the kingdom of God. And I hope some of you get that, that new perspective. But there's a third reason, uh, maybe a little bit more of a sinister reason, why we might not know how uh, our work really connects uh, to the kingdom of God and how we are working for the kingdom of God, a very convicting reason. And that's because maybe... We're not really working for the kingdom of God. Maybe we're actually far more passionate. We're far more interested. We're far more creative and give a lot more of our mental life and energy to thinking about how do I work for my kingdom to establish my little sphere of, of comfort and status and significance in the world. Maybe we're not really connecting our work to God's kingdom because we're really working to pursue our own kingdoms. And whatever that reason might be, whatever that explanation might be, my hope for us this morning is that you would walk away inspired, motivated, encouraged to want to be able to approach the work you do every day in a way that connects to and advances the kingdom of God. And I want to do that then by asking three questions together. Here they are. First, why? Why should I work for God's kingdom instead of working for my own. The rest of what I'm going to say is going to be utterly pointless, irrelevant to you, unless we can first answer that question of why. Why should we work for God's kingdom instead of for our own? Then secondly, the question is what? What is the kingdom of God? Let's get a clearer picture about what that vision is that we're pursuing. And then thirdly, most importantly, where I want to spend most of our time is asking how. How do we work in such a way that advances the kingdom of God? How do we work for God's kingdom? 
So why, what, how? Let's walk through these three together. So first, why should we work for God's kingdom instead of working just to build up our own? And I think we get a really clear, simple, but profound answer from this passage that Ali read for us in Daniel chapter 2. So remember, here is King Nebuchadnezzar. He is the king of Babylon. This is the beginning of the 6th century BC. He is the most powerful king on the face of the earth, the most powerful king who has ever been on the face of the earth at his time. And he has this dream. And he comes to his wise men. These are his advisors, his administrators in the Babylonian kingdom. And he comes to them with this incredibly impossible request. He says, I want you to tell me what I dreamed. And on top of that, then I want you to interpret it for me. And if you're not able to do so, I'm going to execute all of you. I'm going to kill all of my wise men if you're unable to tell me my dream and what it means. Now, Daniel was one of these wise men. He wasn't there of his own um, desire or will. Remember, he had been taken to Babylon as an exile out of his homeland of of Judah. He had been brought uh, to Babylon as an exile, and yet uh, God tells him, along with the other exiles, he says, I actually want you to work for the good of your Babylonian neighbors. So here's Daniel working in the Babylonian government, seeking the flourishing of his Babylonian neighbors, and he's in this really tough workplace situation that John preached about last Sunday. And I love how John pointed out that that Daniel doesn't react. He responds wisely. He goes and he prays and he seeks counsel from his godly friends to learn how do I navigate this difficult situation. But now God has graciously given Daniel the, the revelation of what it was that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed and the interpretation of it. And now Daniel is ready to come to the king with his dream. And when Daniel goes before King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is what you dreamed. You dreamed that you saw this big, beautiful, glorious statue. And at the top of the statue was a head of gold, followed by a chest of silver, a torso of bronze, legs of iron, and then feet of iron mixed with clay. And perhaps as you were admiring and, and, and just sort of taking in the, the splendor of this great statue, suddenly you saw a little stone. And the stone started to roll toward the feet of the statue. And when the stone rolled over the feet, the feet crumbled so that this great glorious statue came crashing to the ground. And then you looked and you saw this little stone grow to become a huge mountain that filled the whole of the earth. He says, that was your dream, King Nebuchadnezzar. And let me ask you a question. Why do you think Nebuchadnezzar was so terrified by this dream? Why do you think he was so enraged by this dream? Whether or not he could remember the dream exactly or not, maybe he was just testing them to see if they could tell him what it was. Maybe he truly couldn't remember it. Either way, the impression the dream left on him, why do you think he was so afraid because of this dream? That he was ready to kill off all of his wise men. What was so terrifying about this dream 
is that Nebuchadnezzar was confronted with the fact that in spite of all that he had done to build up the greatest empire in the history of the world, in spite of all that he had done to to seek his own security through power and through wealth, in spite of the fact that really Nebuchadnezzar was this statue, Right? He had made himself into this great, glorious, successful, dazzling sort of person. In this dream, he was confronted with the fact that he was vulnerable. That he was mortal. And that in spite of all of his great power and success, he had feet of clay. And that in just a moment, he could crumble. And, you know, some of you have been confronted with that reality before. I look out in the sanctuary, I see one family I know. Um, you, you, were, you were in that place where you actually had to, to look at your home, um, your home burning as you had to, to flee from it. You had to leave behind so many of the things that you had built that were valuable to you. You know, I, I think about um, being in this sanctuary. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was doing my best to operate the soundboard for Um, a funeral that was taking place here for the church that used to worship in this space. There was a man uh, who apparently, uh, shortly before his death, he was snowboarding. He had just gotten back from snowboarding. He'd had a physical. His doctor said to him um, that he was in the peak of health. And then just a couple of days after, he had a heart attack, um, and he died. He was vulnerable. He was mortal. And you see, friends, that's, that's true for every single one of us. We're, we're vulnerable. We're mortal. The things that we work to build, they can be stripped away from us uh, in just a short moment's time. You know, David Foster Wallace, the novelist, uh, he once said that everybody worships something. Maybe, maybe you worship your job. Maybe you worship money. Maybe you worship beauty or sex or the approval of other people. But he said if you worship power, as Nebuchadnezzar certainly did, he says the reality is actually you're always going to feel um, weak and afraid. That you're going to lose that power. And you're going to need ever more and more power to keep that fear at bay. Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're vulnerable. You have feet of clay. And then he gives him the interpretation of this dream. He says, here's the thing, Nebuchadnezzar, you may have the greatest empire that any human being has ever built, and your empire is going to be better than all the other kingdoms that come after yours. He says, but you need to understand there is a king in heaven. There is a high king of the universe This king rules over all of history. He raises up kingdoms and he brings them crashing to the ground. And this kingdom, one day, this king's going to establish a kingdom that will never end, that will endure, a kingdom that will last. Every other human kingdom will crumble, but this kingdom, he says, will endure. And that's the kingdom of God. Now, friends, why is this so important? Why is it so important that we work for God's kingdom instead of for our own? Because every kingdom that we seek to build will crumble. But only the kingdom of God will endure. 
Only God's kingdom is going to last. That's the interpretation of Daniel's dream. That's what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. I think he could say the same thing to you and to me. You think about how this plays out in the workplace. So often we we find ourselves worshiping our jobs. We worship our career. We want to build our own little kingdom. And to put it in other words, we want to build this, this statue to our great success. We think if I could just climb the ladder, if I could just get to this position in my company, if I could just reach this this level of, of job title, or if I could just make this amount of money or income, or if I could just get to this certain reputation among people in my field, I would be this, this dazzling statue. I would know myself to be a success. And when we do that, when we, when we worship our work in that way, friends, not only will all of that one day crumble, one day will all of that be stripped away, but in the process, you're actually going to be, be gripped with greater anxiety, greater fear, greater envy, just like King Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, think about it. You're going to be that kind of person in your workplace who's always nervous that somebody else is getting more recognition than you. You're going to be concerned that somebody's going to be promoted ahead of you. Somebody's going to be recognized more than you. You're going to be jockeying for your role within the company. You're going to be trying to get that FaceTime with the boss so that you know that you'll be able to advance instead of them. You'll be taking credit for things that you didn't really do, taking credit away from other people. Did you notice how that happens right here in Daniel 2? Ariok, the captain of the guard, he comes back to King Nebuchadnezzar and he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, I found somebody who's able to interpret your dream. Now, did he go out and find Daniel? No, Daniel came to him. Daniel said, look, I can go to the king and interpret his dream. But Ariok is eager to take that credit. And if you're somebody who's worshiping your work, you're going to be in that position of, of maybe you climb up the ladder, but you're going to push down the ladder behind you. You're not going to want to elevate and develop other people. People are going to sit around wishing that you would retire, but you don't want to because you're holding on to that power and position. You're always going to be filled with envy, even if you're successful. You're going to look around and you're going to say, man, I wish I had that title, or I should make as much money as that person, or I should have as much recognition as they do. There's going to be fear, anxiety, envy, jealousy, And what's more is you're going to miss out on the purpose of your life. You're going to miss out on experiencing the far greater joy and meaning and purpose of living for a kingdom that is bigger and better than your own. Now, that's that's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember that? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And he says, all these other things will be added unto you. Meaning what? Meaning God's going to take care of you doesn't mean he's going to give everybody the same opportunities or the same income or the same jobs. No, but he says, God will take care of you. He will provide for your needs. And then when the kingdom comes in all of its fullness, Jesus says, you're going to share as an heir of a kingdom that far exceeds anything that King Nebuchadnezzar could ever begin to imagine. If you seek first your kingdom, you're going to end up with no kingdom. But if you seek first Jesus' kingdom, you're going to have far greater meaning and purpose in the work you do every day. And along the way, God will provide for you. He'll take care of your needs. And one day, 
You're going to get to share in the glorious kingdom of Jesus when it comes in its fullness. So why work for God's kingdom instead of yours? Because his kingdom will last and ours will crumble. So there's our why. How about the what? What is the kingdom of God? What is this stone that rolls in over the feet of the statue? This stone that initially seems very small, doesn't it? Seems very insignificant, but that grows to become a mountain. Remember, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's very small. You plant it in the ground, but it grows to become a huge tree in which birds are able to perch in its shape. What is this little stone that initially seems pretty bland, doesn't seem very powerful or very valuable compared to gold or silver or you know, bronze or iron? This this stone that seems insignificant, remember Jesus came in humility. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a backwater barn in Bethlehem. He didn't come with military might and dominance. He was humble. He laid down his life for his people. What is this stone that Daniel says is not cut by human hands? meaning that it's divine, it's supernatural, that grows to become a mountain that fills the whole earth. This is the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about it constantly. In his ministry, he gave parables to describe the kingdom of God. He preached the Sermon on the Mount to explain the ethics of the kingdom of God. He says, in the kingdom of God, we forgive those who wrong us, we love our enemies. We seek to live in holiness. There's, a, there's this, this uncompromising integrity that marks people who are living for the kingdom of God. Jesus did miracles that he called signs of the kingdom. You know, Jesus' miracles were not just parlor tricks. They weren't Jesus' way of saying, look how powerful I am. Look what I can do. I can raise people from the dead. These were sneak previews of the kingdom, of a world where there is no hunger, where there is no blindness, where there is no death. They point forward to the reality of the coming kingdom of God. And Jesus' invitation was enter into my kingdom. Now, if you want a definition of the kingdom of God, let me give you this. The kingdom of God is the world the way things are supposed to be. The kingdom of God is the ideal rule and reign of God in this world where the forces of sin and death and injustice are defeated and people live in perfect harmony with God and with one another. The kingdom of God is that glorious, beautiful, harmonious creation that God established in creation but which was lost through the fall and human rebellion but which Jesus came to restore. That's why Jesus came. And you know, in Jesus' first coming, he did everything necessary for sinful, rebellious people who want to build our own kingdoms to be able to be forgiven and welcomed into God's kingdom. Jesus died for all of our sins on the cross. He took the judgment and justice that our sin rightly deserves. Then he rose up again from the dead. And one day Jesus is coming back And when he does, he will bring the fullness of his kingdom. But don't miss this. Right now, today, we who are united to the risen Jesus, remember what the resurrection is. It's the hope of the future being pulled into the present. We who are united to Jesus are now able to begin to participate in advancing God's kingdom. 
and connecting our work to his kingdom and working for that kingdom. So how do we do that? How do we do our work in a way that advances the kingdom of God? Or maybe to put it a different way, um, how, do we, how do we advance and, 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 and maybe provide foretastes of that coming kingdom? Well, I'll, I'll say part of that is inviting people to know the king. It's introducing them to the king. Nobody is going to be a part of the kingdom of God who doesn't know King Jesus. And so part of our our responsibility is to help people meet Jesus so that they can trust him and they can bow before him as their savior, as their king. That's so important. Actually, we're going to do a whole sermon on that. We're going to talk about workplace evangelism. I know that's terrifying for, for some of you to hear, but it's so important that in a relational, organic, like, like, like natural way that we learn to be able to ask good questions, to be able to turn conversations towards spiritual things so we can introduce our coworkers to Jesus. We're going to come back and do a whole sermon on that in this series. But today, I want to talk about the work itself. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about the work itself, and we said that that our work itself could actually be God's means through which he blesses the world, through which he brings his common grace into people's lives. That's true. Now we're going to go a step further, and we're going to say, how does our work itself actually help advance the kingdom of God? Or, uh, maybe a different way to put it, how does it provide foretastes of the kingdom of God? Uh, My first job um, was working as an ice cream scooper at Pechugo. Anybody ever been to Pechugo before, Italian gelato? When I was in high school, that was my job. And, you know, part of that job um, was actually to really encourage people to use the little taster spoons to get lots of tastes of the gelato beforehand. Because, you know, one of the unique things about Pechugo, if you've been there, is we put multiple, we, um, it's, it's party, um, yeah. <laughs> You, you put multiple uh, flavors into the cup, and, and so you want those flavors to like go well together. And so you want to encourage people to get lots of taste beforehand and give them advice about this goes well with this flavor. And, and we would give these four tastes uh, of the, the coming ice cream that they would then enjoy in its fullness afterwards. And, and what I want to tell you this morning is that that was my job at Pechugo, um, but that's also your job. Um, That's my job. If you are a Christian, what it means to connect your work to the kingdom of God means that you're somebody who is trying to do your work in such a way that it creates little foretastes of the coming kingdom. And that is a way to worship God through your work because God looks at that and he loves it. Because it looks like his original design for what he longs for the world to be. God is glorified and people who experience those little foretastes of the kingdom, are often awakened. Maybe there's a desire, maybe there's a longing, maybe there's a hope that, wow, there might really be a kingdom of God and I want to be a part of it. So how do we do that? How do we do our work in a way that helps to create foretastes of the coming kingdom? And I just want to share with you to inspire, to encourage some of the ways that some of you are already doing this um, within our church um, so here are just a few uh, examples. So, so first, um, you know, the kingdom of God, we're told, is going to be marked by justice. So for instance, Isaiah eleven four 4 says that when King Jesus is fully on his throne, he's going to righteously judge the poor. He's going to decide with equity for the meek of the earth. 
Jeremiah 23, 5 says that the king will do what is fair and what is right in the land. Do you hear those words? Fair, right, equity, justice. So for instance, there's, there's one lady in our church, she works in human resources. She says that part of her calling in her job, part of the way she tries to provide a foretaste of the coming kingdom is she says in their hiring practices, she wants to make sure that they are hiring in really fair ways. They're not hiring people just based on who you know or on your wealth or on the color of your skin or based on your age. She says the more that we have fair hiring practices, the more that I'm providing a little foretaste of God's kingdom. There's a lawyer, and I know all the lawyer jokes, right? We can all be like, well, those lawyers, you can't trust them. But, but here's a lawyer, and I love this because he says, look, my passion as a lawyer is not just to build the most hours possible. He says, my passion is to help people get justice in the ways in which maybe they have not been able to get justice. And he says, even when it's a gray area, and it's not super clear. He says, even in the way that I can just help somebody navigate the, the difficulties of the legal process and make that less stressful and let them know they have an advocate, somebody who really is on their side so they're not going to get taken advantage of. That's a foretaste of the kingdom. I love that. Um, here is a, a person in our congregation whose job is um, workforce uh, safety in the warehouse where he works. Now, how does that connect to the coming kingdom? He says he's worked at places before where they just give lip service to worker safety. And he says what ends up happening is people get taken advantage of. People get exploited. They get put in dangerous situations um, where clearly profits matter more than people. He says part of the way that he provides a foretaste of God's justice and shalom is by really making sure that workers are safe um, where he's doing that work. Uh, one person in our congregation has a little bit more say over setting the workplace culture in his company. And so here's what he says. He says, because God's kingdom is marked by incredible integrity and honesty, we have a policy that we will never knowingly lie to each other. Even if it's going to make you look bad, even if you didn't meet your metrics, even if you, you know, think that maybe um, you could kind of shade the truth in a way that would like make you look better. He says, no, we're going we're gonna to never knowingly lie to each other. We're not going to lie to our suppliers. We're not going to lie to our customers. We're not going to lie to the government when we need to get permits for the work that we're doing. We're going to be absolutely committed to integrity. He says, sometimes that costs us. Sometimes it helps us because people know they can trust them, but sometimes it costs us. But he says it's worth it because we're trying to create this foretaste of the coming kingdom in the way that we, we, we do this work with integrity. So there's just one. There's justice. Let me give you another one. The kingdom of God is going to be marked by cultural diversity and the beauty of all these cultures coming together. Revelation says that people from every tribe, nation, and tongue will be part of God's kingdom. Actually, Isaiah chapter 60 says the cultural achievements of every culture, architecture, music, beauty, technology, these things will actually be brought into the kingdom of God. And so I love, there's one woman in our church who works in the travel industry. She says, part of my job, the way I provide a foretaste of the kingdom is I want people to get to experience other cultures, to get to appreciate other cultures. Here's a teacher who works in an inner city school and she wants to be able to help build bridges between kids of different cultural backgrounds. I love that. Here's another one. The kingdom of God will be marked by health and wholeness. Isaiah 33, 24 says, no longer in the kingdom will anyone say, I am sick. Now we know that sickness and death are gonna be with us until Jesus comes back. But in the way 
that perhaps some of you care for the health of the people that you serve and you provide good health care, affordable health care, in the way that you treat people, not just as the, the, the problems you're trying to fix, but you value them as a whole person in doing that, that is a foretaste of the healing that will be true in the kingdom of God. And I know of a woman who approaches her work that way as she provides medical supplies and medical counsel to people who are sick and dying. I know of a therapist in our congregation who says, I'm not just a therapist, I'm a healer in the way that I want to care for the whole person and make it clear that I care about them as a person, not just fixing their injury. I think about somebody who sells insurance, supplemental insurance, to make sure people are able to pay unexpected health bills. And I think about one guy who said that actually in his workplace, he says, I don't do anything that has to do with health care, but he noticed that one of the employees, one of the lower wage earning employees in their company, um, apparently her kids were really sick. And, and she was having to pay those medical bills. It was really stressing her out in her work. And, and so you know what he did is he actually led upward in his company. Not everybody's the CEO, not everybody's the boss, and you get to make these top-down changes. But they went to the management, and they said, hey, look, I wonder, do you think we could consider creating a good Samaritan fund in our company? And maybe everybody could have the option just to pay a little bit in from their paycheck to that, and we could put a committee together with a few you know, people in the workplace who decide how to dispense those funds. But if somebody has a, a medical emergency, they could apply to that fund, and they could get help to pay those bills. And maybe that allows them to, to actually be a better worker, too, because they're not as worried and stressed about that. I love that. These foretastes of the healing. How about comfort? You know, we're told the kingdom of God will be marked by a deep comfort for the hurting. Revelation 21 says that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Here's a lady who in her work in the mental health sphere, as she's dealing with people with anxiety and with trauma, she says, I want them to experience a little bit of that comfort that one day we'll know fully in the kingdom of God. Or here's a guy who in the way that he, he leads his company, culture. He tells all of his employees, and he tells his employees to tell their employees that it is not a waste of work time to take a personal interest in each other, to ask questions about how you're doing, questions of care and concern. He says, yeah, we make products. Yeah, we make profits. Those are important. But we also value people in the way that we seek to care for each other. And you don't have to have a company culture, by the way, that values that to do that. You can just take an interest in your coworkers. You can ask them questions about their lives and how they're doing. Even offer maybe to pray for them. Here's one more. The kingdom of God will be marked by economic flourishing. Do you know that? Sometimes people say, well, what does business have to do with advancing and connecting to foretaste of the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, Micah 4.4 4 says, every person will get to rest secure under her own vine and fig tree. Isaiah 65, 21 through 22 says, they will build houses and live in them and get to enjoy the fruit of their labor. So here's one person in our congregation who has worked in workforce housing. And he says, yeah, we want to provide affordable housing, but we want to make sure that that housing is, is safe, that it's clean, that it's even beautiful, that it can provide a good home for the families who live in it to be able to grow and flourish. I love that. Here's somebody who works in, in venture capital, 
And he says, when we're raising money to start these new businesses, I believe that these businesses are going to create new jobs, and those new jobs are going to allow people new opportunity um, for their family to flourish. Right? Economic flourishing, that's part of the kingdom of God as well. And, and when you do your work in a way where you're wanting to promote that for, for, for people, regardless of their income, regardless of their wealth, that's a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Now, I know some of you hear this and you think to yourselves, yeah, I I think I'm doing that. Others of you think, I've heard that. I don't feel like my work connects to any of those things that you've said. I don't think my work advances the kingdom of God. Let me be frank and honest in saying that, that, look, it's possible. If if you own a strip club or or if you're working in the, the tobacco industry, after all we know about tobacco, or if maybe you are working in payday lending, Maybe, maybe your job doesn't advance the kingdom of God. Maybe you need to think about changing jobs if you want to be obedient to Jesus. Frankly, it would be very hard to preach this sermon in Las Vegas. Probably a lot of the congregation would have to think, okay, what am I going to do uh, differently tomorrow? But maybe you do uh, need to look for another job, or perhaps you know, there's a bit of a range. So maybe you think, yeah, there's a way that I could use my gifts more to be advancing God's kingdom if I were to consider a different role. And if you can do that and still provide for your family, great, go for that. But regardless, let me just say this, regardless of how much you feel like your work connects to providing foretastes of God's coming kingdom, you yourself can be a foretaste, regardless of the work you're doing. I love how one woman in our congregation put this. This is awesome. She says, you know, no matter what we do, we can make a huge difference in our workplaces. No matter our level or the task at hand, she says, when you show up and you do your job with joy, that gets noticed. When you bring a smile, when you give unexpected praise to coworkers, right? Instead of being hungry for your own credit, you're looking for ways to call out the good things that your coworkers are doing. When when you give people um, gratitude, instead of just demanding or expecting that they do things for you, people that you work with, when you're transparent and you tell people hard truth sometimes, but you do it in a way that's kind, in a way that's gracious, um, in, in a way that's caring, She says, when you don't participate in workplace gossip or when you don't give in to just grumbling and complaining, that can so easily infiltrate a workplace. When you lift up others that you work with, she says, you yourself are a foretaste of God's coming kingdom, of the way God longs for us to relate in his kingdom. And and, and listen, friends, we don't have any delusion. And if we all went out today and we said, I'm going to work for the kingdom of God, we don't have any delusion we're going to create a utopia or that the kingdom is going to be ushered in through our efforts. No, even as we remember at the Lord's table, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. And when he does, that stone that rolled over the feet of the statue will become the mountain that fills the earth and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God. That gives us great humility and great hope. But, but this hope for Daniel was only future. But for us, it's also present because the kingdom has come. It's already, but it's not yet. Jesus has come. He's inaugurated his kingdom. He has done everything necessary for us to be welcomed into God's kingdom. And even now, right now today, we have resurrection power 
with which to begin to do our work in ways that provide little foretastes of the kingdom of God. And God's glorified in that. And often people are awakened with a longing to want to be part of that as we do. So let's pray as we come to the Lord's table this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that indeed you have come to establish your kingdom. At this table, we remember that we don't deserve to get to be part of your kingdom. You had every right to judge us, to cast us out for our treason, for our rebellion, for our desire to rule our lives instead of you. And yet never has there been a king who would love like this, that he would lay down his very life for us so that we could be welcomed into his kingdom. And I pray, Lord Jesus, in response to your self-giving love for us, in response to the reality that it is your kingdom alone that will last and endure, that we would be a people who, in the work we do every day, would be asking more and more, how can we do it in a way that it advances and provides foretastes of your coming kingdom? Jesus, we long for that day when you will come again. And yet until we do, keep us close to you, communing with you, abiding in you, even as we do this morning as we come to the Lord's table together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.